Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And they said it wouldn't last. If you're hearing the tones of Swamp Rock 2, you know what that means. It's time for the second year edition of Pot of Gold Extra Point. Coming to you a little different this year. Last year, we were recording on Friday afternoons, heading into the Notre Dame football game that weekend. Now, it is Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, and Carter Carls and I, my self Tribune and the Insider colleague, We'll recap Notre Dame's 27-13 victory over Duke at Notre Dame Stadium in front of 10,097 socially distanced fans. Carter and I watched games at our respective houses. One member per media in the press box these days, so we were not invited. Sat on the couch, watched Notre Dame beat Duke, go 1-0. Your initial thoughts, Mr. Carls, on Notre Dame, 27, Duke 13. Well, I think it certainly didn't look like a number 10 team. Notre Dame did not. But at the end of the day, I I felt that we weren't going to see the number 10 team. Really? I mean, I I just thought because of the circumstances with the pandemic, and, and I know it might sound like excuses, but I just felt like, with how crazy this offseason was, there's going to be rust and that it wasn't going to be a polished product. Um, right. I, now, there were some major concerns. I felt like the offensive line could have played better at, at times. I felt like Ian Book uh, brought a lot of concerns, uh, similar concerns that we saw last year. And I thought wide receivers, it's just the chemistry was not there between mm-hmm. him and the receivers. Um, and then it was concerning to see Kyle Hamilton go down. But I thought there was a lot of young players that popped. I thought Jeremiah Usukoromoa looked amazing as ever. So there was some as good as advertised. Yeah, and so I felt like at just as many negatives there were, there was also positives. It kind of balanced out. It wasn't a nightmare of performance, but um, certainly they could play better. And this is what I wrote about in – it will be in – it's online at Indy Insider right now, but it'll be in Monday's self and Tribune. It's okay to be disappointed about Notre Dame's season-opening victory because this is where the standard of this program has, has gotten when they're 33-6 and six the last three years where, you know, Brian Kelly's saying, well, we didn't have any spring practice. We had we, – we missed out on three practices in the fall. Maybe we weren't as sharp. Maybe there's some rust, but – this, this is, this is the, the standard and the level of where the bar is set for this program to where, look, I was at, at Wallace Wade Stadium last November where Notre Dame rolled over Duke. Like it was, what, 38-7. to 7. They could have scored 60 if they wanted to. I kind of expected something similar, not necessarily going for 40 or 50 points, but when you've got, you've got all offseason to work with the, the wide receivers, if you're Ian Book, to get some chemistry down, 
to get the offense in some sort of uh, some semblance of continuity. And then what happens? You go three and out your first three offensive possessions. And, and you know, I know I know they found a rhythm and they were able to do some good things. And Joe Wilkins came in. Kyron Williams, your guy, a year late. Now, a, a year late that, that you picked him as a breakout star last year. Kyron Williams goes for 112 yards on 19 carries and two touchdowns. But offensively, I, I just thought with a three-year starter and a guy in Tommy Reese as offensive coordinator, I, I just – I just expected a little bit more from this team yesterday than, than, than what we saw. What to you is more concerning, the offensive line, Ian Book, or the wide receivers? Well, I, let's go – the wide receivers I'm not really that concerned with because we didn't see Braden Lindsay. Why we didn't see Braden Lindsay, we don't know because we've never gotten that, that explanation. For our listeners, we do have to explain that it's it, the, the post game. basically everything runs a little bit differently in trying to get information out of Notre Dame, especially head coach Brian Kelly. We have to submit these questions through Zoom. And Notre Dame, on the, under, the other end of the Zoom call, they can decide whether or not they want, that, what they, they want to ask that question of the head coach. That question about Braden Lindsay, the question about Kyle Hamilton, what exactly is Kyle Hamilton's injury? Is it an, I've heard ankle, I've heard knee, I've heard leg. You know, it's something with his left leg. What it is, we don't know because, again, that question was asked. It wasn't answered. And also with Braden Lindsay. Braden Lindsay was in uniform. He didn't play. We've heard maybe there's a situation where he got caught up in, in contact tracing with, with the coronavirus. Maybe he's got a hamstring injury. But we, we have not gotten word on why Braden Lindsay, even though he was dressed, didn't play one snap yesterday. So you're going to get Braden Lindsay back. You're going to get Kevin Austin back. You know, Joe Wilkins – it's almost like Joe Wilkins saved the day. He goes and gets four catches for 44 yards, the, the first four catches that he makes in his career. So he comes in and delivers. But I think there's, there's just too much talent on, uh, with those wide receivers. I'm not, I'm not so concerned about the wide receivers and maybe Ian Book. I think the biggest concern right now is the offensive line where, okay, you've got all five starters back. It's touted as one of the best offensive lines in the country. We're, we're, uh, it, Liam Eikenberg, this, and Jared Patterson, and Robert Hainsey, two-time captain. You've got all five starters back in the offensive line. You just – you can't – what were they? You can't go 7-16 to 16 on third downs. Like Robert Hainsey last week was talking about, you know, our, our goal is to just dominate the downs that we're supposed to dominate, like third and short or third and long. Like third down is, is, is an offensive line down. For them to only go seven to sixteen, expected more out of a uh, out of a group like that. So I'd say right now the offensive line that's that's a concern because Ian Book maybe he doesn't maybe he's not a, a, as comfortable with a Joe Wilkins or he's still he's still getting that continuity with Michael Mayer. So that'll come. But the offensive line, man, they they should have been pounding those guys from the start yesterday, and we really didn't see that. Yeah, what was so strange about yesterday's game was it felt like all of the inexperience outshined the veterans. Like a lot of the guys that were popping were, you know, Kyron Williams, a guy making his first start ever. Joe Wilkins had not made a career catch, and then he gets three catches in a row in the second quarter, and he was the first wide receiver to make a catch in the game with 50 seconds left in the half. Uh, and then you see Chris Tyree, Michael Mayer, Isaiah Foskey, all this inexperience. And then you see this big bad O-line who returned all five of their starters. 
you see Ian Book, you see some of the veteran receivers like maybe Javon McKinley, Ben Skoranek, just not making plays. Um, yeah, ben, I mean, Ben Skoranek, all that we heard about Ben Skoranek was his his relationship with Ian Book. He had it with Ian Book. Like, they, they had this connection. And I don't think they, they targeted Skoranek before – he got. I mean, I think the only the only target he got was when he when he pulled up lame on his hams with his hamstring. He wasn't really involved in the offense. Brock Wright wasn't involved in the offense. Tommy Tremble, yeah, a little bit, but yeah, like he said, it was it was more the young guys that were stepping up and, and delivering the plays when plays needed to be made. And, and I'm not going to give up on a guy like Vince Karanik just yet. I think again, game one, but I think this was going to be the concern. I, I think. Uh, this this skill group was going to take a step, uh, or at least this wide receiver group was going to take a step back. I mean, they had Chase Claypool, Chris Fink, Miles Boykin. The last couple seasons, they were they were destined to take a step back. But I think there's promise within within the younger guys. And and really, I I just I know he's my guy. He's the, <laughs> he's the guy that here it comes. The Here whole, it comes. The whole recruiting process, I was like, how is this guy a three-star recruit? Kyron Williams, what he was able to do in his first collegiate start, really his first significant action mm-hmm. since Chip Long put him in the doghouse for dropping a pass against Louisville, I just – I even I was surprised despite how much I had hyped him up and was on the hype train. Um he just looked like a complete back. I think going into the game, we were a little unsure what his role would be. Would it be 10 to 15 touches? Would it, would it be a running back by committee? He was the full workhorse back. He was in third down situations. He got all the goal line work. Uh, he was in the, in the passing game being used as a receiver. Sometimes they split him out in the slot. Uh, again, was used in pass protection and, and held his own in there, uh, ran in the middle, ran outside. He was a complete back, and I think they've got a lot to build off from him. That's a step that this program really hasn't taken where you look at the running backs, and when Brian Kelly met with us last week by, by Zoom, he talked. He rolled through like five, five, six, seven different guys. And as he's talking up Kyron Williams, as he's talking up Chris Tyree, Something in the back of your mind when you've watched this program for so many years, you're thinking, okay, he's just talking about those guys right now, but come game day, is he going to go back and, and, and go with Jafar Armstrong and go with Jameer Smith and, and go with Sebo Flemister? Those three guys barely didn't play when the game was on the line and it was crunch time. It's Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree getting all the, the, the important carries in the work. So I'm, I'm happy to see that, that you've got the young guys Go play the young guys like Alabama and Clemson and Georgia. If you're a true freshman, if you're a redshirt freshman, you're not sitting on the bench week after week and waiting until you're uh, late in your sophomore career or late in your ju- early in your junior season to, f- to see the field. Like Kyron Williams, I know he was a three-star back. and he, Honestly, I mean, let's admit it. Last year, for whatever reason, maybe it was the intricacies of the offense, maybe because he was a true freshman. But last year, he did he did look like a three star guy, especially yeah. in that game against Louisville. Yesterday, man, he looked like he looked like a legit college football running back. The way he hit the holes, the way he had that speed, he kept coming, he kept coming, he kept coming. Finishes with 112 yards and two touchdowns. That's something that Notre Dame can really build off with Kyron Williams and. 
if this is the Kyron Williams that we're going to see for the rest of the season or the next four or five weeks, it's okay for whatever reason Jafar Armstrong is not getting any carries. It's okay to keep Jafar Armstrong just simmering there on the sideline. I want to see more of number 23. And, and the reason why I don't think it's exactly a mirage is, uh, I mean, did you see what Todd McShay said about it? ESPN draft analyst? He was saying, my gosh, this guy is a complete back on, on mm-hmm. Twitter, saying, like, he's doing everything. It wasn't just one or two big plays. Um, and, and he did that despite having the slow start with the offensive line. Ian Book missed him a couple times in the passing game. He missed him on that. There was one screen pass Tony Dungy kept referring to where if Book hits that screen pass to Kyron Williams and he's got the offensive lineman ahead of him, he might have gone all the way to, to, to the end zone with like, yeah. what, 75, 80 yards with that screen pass. So yeah. I want to see more of that. He might have had 300 yards by the time <laughs> it was all said and done. But, I mean, kudos to this kid because I think you're totally right. Last season he, he just wasn't – he wasn't ready. He, he came in a little overweight at 210 pounds, didn't have the, the burst, the speed. Mm-hmm. He was always great, short area, quickness, you know, shaking guys out of their shoes. But straight line speed was always the concern with him. This offseason, he lost 15 pounds, totally transformed his body from a physical standpoint. And now he's about 195 and – He's got that speed. He's got that burst. There's really not a huge hole in his game. I know he missed a couple plays in pass protection, but uh, I, I was expecting him to not be that good in pass protection. There was a couple times where I was like, dang, okay, Kyron Williams. So, yeah, he stepped in the hole that one time, picked up the blitz, and allowed Ian Book to throw that pass. Yeah, Avery Davis. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, sky is the limit there. Um, what do you think about Michael Mayer? What, uh, what's your what's your thoughts with him? Because he's another guy of mine. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Mayer's your guy. Kyron Williams is your guy. Chris Tyree. Before I get to Mayer, I do have to mention Chris Tyree. Like you've been on the Chris Tyree train since he, he, he committed, since he, he he signed. You're like, watch this guy, watch this guy. Again, I'm a little skeptical of guys that are five nine and and doing it in high school. You you, you don't know how he's built with how he's put together in that five, nine package. So you're like, eh, maybe, maybe he's, maybe he's a little too small. He might, he might struggle. He might get hurt, but okay. I'll just take the kickoff back 38 yards. The first time I touch a kickoff and, and, and just run almost break it. So he, Chris Tyree made a believer out of me yesterday, but Michael Mayer, other than the nickname, I don't like the nickname. Uh-huh. Get like rid him. of the nickname, Baby Gronk. Get the, get rid of that. But yeah. honestly, he does look like Rob Gronkowski from a number standpoint, from a physicality standpoint. He he's another. He was another guy where it looked like every time he had the ball in his hands, he was going to make something happen. And again, another true freshman. Don't be worried about the fact that he's never played a college game. Don't be worried about the fact that this is the first time he's ever been in Notre Dame Stadium for a college game. Run him out there have them make plays, and it gives such another different dimension to your offense. Like, Brian Kelly talked the most of preseason about Brock Wright, what a, what, a, what a solid job he does, and he's consistent, he's reliable, and he is all that. But for this offense to maximize its potential up and down the field, like Brock Wright may be a short yardage guy, goal line guy, you got to get more of Michael Mayer and Tommy Tremble in this, in this offense. And Michael Mayer is really good. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I just remember I got to see Michael Mayer 
quite a bit in, in the recruiting mm-hmm. process, the opening finals, uh, really got to study both of his years, his junior, senior year. And this isn't a huge surprise. I mean, I, I felt like I did go out on it a is? It's not. It's not. A huge oh, I thought you said it was a huge surprise. Oh, no, no. I, I, I did kind of go on a lim- out on a limb on the radio a few weeks ago, and I, I wasn't sure how I felt about this opinion. And I kind of just put it all out there. I said that he's the best tight end on Notre Dame's roster. And <laughs> at the time – Wait, Tommy, Tommy Tremble's dad is on line one for you. Yeah, I know. But, <laughs> but I, I truly think – I mean, that game, small sample size. But what you could see – what you saw, he, what he did in the, with the football in his hands, I mean, he just doesn't go down. There was that third mm-hmm. and seven where he shed about two tackles. There was that 17-yard game where he shed a tackle. Uh, he doesn't go down. He just has such a big body. And, and seeing him at the opening finals, his body control and how he can high point the football uh, in traffic, you know, uh, he, he has tremendous body control and that wide body. He's going to be a huge target for Ian Book. And, that again, that doesn't mean they give up on Tommy Trimble. He is a oh, great no. talent as well. They involve – multiple tight ends in the offense. And I think Trimble gives them more versatility and multiplicity than, than Michael Mayer might. Uh, but using both of those guys, I think Notre Dame should feature both of them. And a guy like Brock Wright and, and, and some of the other guys may lose some snaps as those guys become more featured in the offense. Because w- until they get their things together with the wide receivers, I think Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree, Michael Mayer, Tommy Trimble, those are going to be the guys going forward. As much as we've spent t- as the time that we've spent on the offense, let's switch over to the defense. And I do have to throw out a disclaimer on this because for our listeners, Saturday was the first time that we were able to watch Notre Dame in any sort of football situation since what, like March, was it, what was it, March 5th, March 6th? March 5th. Whatever that one spring practice that morning at the Irish Athletic Center that we were able to see, that's all that we've seen of them. That's the first time we've seen Notre Dame play a football game since the Camping World Bowl. And defensively, it was kind of hard for me to zero in on a specific area, whether it be the interior line or the linebackers or the back end and the secondary, because since we haven't seen any any sort of personnel groupings or who's going to be the buck linebacker or how's Sean Crawford going to do at safety, like I'm spending the game – just trying to get personnel down. Like, oh, wait, who's number four? I'm looking at my roster. Okay, that, that's Nick McLeod. Like, uh, like, who are some of these guys? Yeah. Because they, they like Shane Simon, 33. I'm not used to seeing 33 play on defense. He's, Shane Simon's usually been on special teams. So I spent most of the game just trying to get personnel groupings down. Like, okay, that's the first team defense. Okay, now this is the second team defense. And they did run a lot of guys in there, and it looked, at least early on, as much as the offense struggled, early on the defense struggled. They gave up 246 yards in the first half, and it seemed like David Cutcliffe and Duke, they were able, with Chase Bryce at quarterback, they were able to do basically anything they wanted. But then they made their adjustments. Jeremiah Wusukormo talked about it postgame. They made the adjustments at halftime, and then they go out, and Duke gets 82 yards in the second half. So as much as the first half was a struggle – the second half was like, okay, now I see it. That's the speed. That's the athleticism. That's the quickness to the ball in this defense that we've heard so much about during preseason. 
Yeah, I think Duke surprised Notre Dame a little bit. Jeremiah talked about how they lined up a lot in the pistol formation, and they're like, wait, what's this? We didn't see this on the tape. Uh, And uh, I think another thing is Notre Dame's defense had a lot of sorting out to do in the secondary and even at the linebacker position. What the, The biggest thing that stood out to me was just how much they rotated. They started sophomore, uh, a sophomore at Buck linebacker in Maris Lufau, who had not played much as a true freshman last season. A little bit on special teams, but nothing really on, uh, on the defensive side. No, he wasn't even in the two deep, I, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. at Buck linebacker. And, uh, and he was rotating with Shane Simon early on. Bo Bauer got a lot of time at middle linebacker. That was kind of a surprise for me because Drew White just – did so well last year. It didn't seem like he would face too much competition. We even saw DJ Brown rotating at safety uh, with Sean Crawford and giving him a few breathers. And then once Kyle Hamilton was hurt, DJ Brown, you know, came in full time, um, saw some rotation, a lot of positions, uh, defensive line, you're always going to see rotation there, but at linebacker safety, that, that was a little bit new. That was a little bit different. I don't know how long they'll continue doing that. I think maybe in certain situations, like, like I, I think it could be situational. Maybe you put Shane Simon on the field mm-hmm. when your defense needs to be a little bit more athletic and cover a lot of space. Uh, and, and maybe, I don't, I don't know the difference between Drew, Drew White or Bo Bauer would be situationally, uh, but – Anyways, I think it could depend on the situation. Third down, it seemed like they used certain packages, third and long. Um, but Clark Lee, he's always a uh, interesting to watch because those in-game adjustments are a thing of beauty. Those situational packages are a thing of beauty. The way he was using Kyle Hamilton early was was fascinating. Uh, was using him as a blitzer. Uh, was was using him all sorts of ways in coverage. Uh, Clark Lee is a mastermind. He's proven that the last couple seasons. And uh, I'm interested to see how long this rotation goes and what all the different situations will look like. I was surprised. I mean, there was no surprise as far as what Jeremiah Wusukoromo was going to be able to do. Nine tackles, two tackles for loss, one sack. He was all over the field. But I was stunned when I looked at the stats postgame and saw that Isaiah Foskey only had like two tackles. Yeah, and maybe like it, like Isaiah Foskey, number seven. That guy was all over the place on Saturday afternoon. He's going to be a handful as they move forward here. I've got a great Isaiah Foskey story. Let's hear it. I called him uh, probably right before he came to Notre Dame in June of 2019, just to kind of uh, just to kind of talk with him one more time because we're not allowed to talk with players uh, officially um, when when they get to campus. And, and I just remember asking him about his time at De La Salle High School in Concord, California. Uh, he played a lot of tight end. He was initially going to be a tight end. That, that was his position. And, and then he played defensive end and, and just played so well at the position and, and really took, took the reins at that position his senior year of high school. He told me that he absolutely hated tight end, that it was like, just the worst he thought it was boring and I'm like dude you get to catch touchdowns what's boring about that he's saying no dude I love being a defensive end I love getting the quarterback I love just like bringing that tenacity and you know thank goodness for him that he didn't 
take that tight end route because what a revelation he could be at defensive end. I I was shocked too that he had two tackles because he seemed all over the place. And I don't know if it's because he was wearing number seven, but he just looked a step faster than he was, you know, when he got some time against Stanford last year and was playing well too. He just, the way he could get to the quarterback and, and just, I mean, all around what he brought was huge. And, you know, I know the defensive line rotates quite a bit and and he was going to get time anyways, but you have to think that maybe with, with how well he's playing that he's going to get a little bit more time than those other backups and that maybe he can be used in certain situations like third and long. I think it's the single number. If he was like 94, <laughs> I think it was 94 last year. I don't know what number it was, but the fact that he's number seven, that adds a step or two to his quickness. And it, he just looks the part because he's wearing a single number. So let's go, let's go with that. Should he get the Stefan Tuit face mask? <laughs> no. Nah. With the, with the bars going everywhere, the diagonal, nah. That's a, just keep it the way he is right now. Keep it simple. We'll go with that. I'd li- I like to see it. I- I'm a big fan of that face mask. I was also a fan of the Kurt Heinisch. Uh, Eye black. What do you call that? Eye black. Uh, <laughs> they showed a shot at him on the sidelines during the game making some sort of gesture and I was terrified. So <laughs> it, Kurt it Heinisch looks like that with the eye black all covering his face. You don't want to run up against a guy like that. No, you do not. No. Wait, we can't we cannot leave without mentioning what a good day the punter had. How about Jay Bramlett? How about the call? Like that's 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 got some, it's I love the swagger when Notre Dame's backed up to their own 21-yard line. It's still in the first half. They've done really nothing offensively. And Brian Kelly and Brian Polian are, are, are going to wind up rolling the dice and calling the fake punt for Jay Bramlett to run for the first down. Up until, like, what, halftime, late halftime, early third quarter? That was the longest run that Notre Dame had, 14 yards. So not only did Jay Bramlett run the ball, he has six punts for 43.8-yard average. That's a good day all around for the sophomore punter. What was really funny up until that moment was Notre Dame had just announced Brian Kelly's contract extension to 2024. <laughs> Notre Dame started horribly, horribly, and the offense was terrible. And they fake a punt within their own – inside their own 20. I think they were at the 19-yard line or something. And if they don't get that punt, like – or if they don't get they, – they don't get, they don't get the first down. down. I mean, the reaction on Twitter would have been hysterical because, I mean, at that moment, everything had gone wrong, and it was like the timing of this contract announcement could not have been worse. But fortunately for Notre Dame and Brian Kelly, they converted that and it really got them going. Jay Bramlett, former quarterback, uh, was a really good quarterback in Tuscaloosa uh, in, in a high school down there. But – so I, I, I've always wondered if he'd be used uh, maybe as a, a thrower, you know, in a, those punting situations. But to see him run, yeah, he's got that speed. Um, and, yeah, that was, that was a funny moment for sure. Okay, truth-telling time. We're sitting here. It's 1130 on Sunday, September 13th. Roll back a month. You're sitting there in your apartment. Actually, you're back in Dallas because you spent the entire pandemic back home. On August 13th, one month ago today, 
did you think we'd be sitting here talking about Notre Dame and Duke playing a football game at Notre Dame Stadium? I was about 50-50 probably. Um, yeah. I was always optim- more optimistic than others that it would get to the starting line and mm-hmm. not to the finish line. Um, I'd always thought they're definitely going to start this, right? And then maybe not finish it because it's going to maybe be a disaster. But so far, so good. And they really got through that rough patch uh, Notre Dame did that they had that spike of cases on campus last month. Um, so I, I think there, I don't know if there's ever been this much optimism for what lies ahead. And, you know, that's great. Like that we want to cover games. Like we want to be able to talk about Ian book struggling to find chemistry with his wide receivers. We want to talk about Isaiah Foskey popping uh, so I feel like I'm in great spirits now compared to August 13th, because I remember just every day it was like every five minutes, it, it was a new report. It was a new crazy thing. Uh, it, it was a nightmare. And now it's like, Oh wow. Football is being played. We're talking about football. Uh, people on Twitter are complaining to me about random stuff. Like I missed this. I never knew how much I missed this, but I do. I do have to admit, when they kicked the ball off last yesterday afternoon at like two forty, I got a little chills. Like you know, it was like it's like okay, after all that we've been through from a college athletic standpoint, when this whole thing started back in March, and they're canceling the ACC tournament, and then all the spring sports gets wiped out, and we get through summer, and everybody's hoping, and then the Big Ten falls and the Pac twelve falls. My only my only wish was that they at least tried to get to this point. Like, like whatever happens from this point forward, it's going to happen. If the numbers spike, if this, or the, they have to shuffle this, they have to change that date, but at least get to September 12th and give it an effort and give it a try and see what happens. And as much as we, we were critical of what happens over at Notre Dame about this or about that, whether it's football or basketball, or we don't like something that Jack Swarbrick might've said, we do have to take our hats off about the way Notre Dame has handled this restart from a, from a, a social distancing standpoint, crowds, only 10,000 fans, the media has been limited, but I think everything they did to get to September 12th worked and let's just hope it works moving forward. As far as you know, the zoom calls, I know the zoom calls aren't, aren't our best friend, the way we're able to communicate or not communicate with Brian Kelly and the players. That's a little bit of a struggle. But the fact that we get football back and we're able to get into some sort of rhythm in our jobs, that's a good thing. I'll take that. Yeah, I think the big, the, the big thing was testing capacity. I, I know a few months ago we had no idea what it would look like. Mm-hmm. ACC, every program is testing at least three times a week. Duke tested every single day last week. Uh, when you're able to do that, and colleges are becoming smarter about creating bubbles for their players. Uh, Ian Book, every single class he is taking is online. He said he's basically in his own bubble, in his own apartment, not seeing anybody. He goes from his apartment to the Goog, to the practice facility, to the Goog, to his apartment. And that's it. Like yeah. they mentioned yesterday that uh, on NBC, he's room, he, is, is, he has a place with Sean Crawford. And he, he told, Ian Book told Tony Dungy, 
we never leave our apartment unless we're going, we're, we're going to, the, to the facility. Like we don't go out, we don't go to the store, we don't go to the restaurants. That's what these guys need to do if they want to have this, uh, this, see this season go from start to finish without any hiccups. For sure. And I'll be interested, interested to see the, I guess the long-term effect, what that'll look like in November after you've gone through midterms, just a mental health standpoint. I know that's going to be huge too. And I know that's an issue that Notre Dame takes seriously. So uh, I hope that the athletes are able to endure that. And, and it seems like they're taking it seriously. I've seen a couple players out and about wearing masks uh, here in town. So um, it, it seems like their culture has, has instilled this seriousness toward the virus. And, and that's a good thing to see. I guess as we close out, maybe uh, I'll, I'll ask you, Tom, just – What's one thing you want to see from this team against USF or one thing you just want to see going forward improve? Start fast. Be like 17-0 at the end of the first quarter on Saturday. South Florida is not a good football team. This is kind of like a throw-in game for Notre Dame. It should be the game where they're playing Western Michigan. Western Michigan canceled their season, pushed their back their season, so they had to add South Florida. South Florida, first-year head coach. I know all the storylines with Charlie Weiss Jr. as the offensive coordinator. That's going to dominate this week. But I think if you're Notre Dame, start fast and just jump on these guys to the point where, okay, you flex your muscle, you show that you're the number 10 team in the country, and then you can kind of ease some other guys into the lineup and get some more snaps for guys like Lawrence Keyes, even get some more snaps for guys like Joe Wilkins. Let's see what Chris, Chris Tyree can do with eight, nine, ten carries instead of like Kyron Williams getting 19. So start fast, put an end to put it, any, any drama, put an end to any drama early on Saturday, and then go to get to 2-0, and then you get ready and you get your first road test the following week in Winston-Salem against Wake Forest. I want to see Ian Book rip it loose. I know not the Notre Dame offense, their problems was not all on Ian Book, mm-hmm. but – some of his issues was similar to what he did last year where he'd hold the ball too long. His pocket presence wasn't there. He'd run right into a pressure. Um, there, there are times where, you know, Notre Dame's offensive line is doing as best as it can, but they don't have 10 seconds to, you know, protect Ian Book. And, and there are times where he misses a guy wide open down the field. I, I think there was a time he connected with Joe Wilkins where Tommy Trimble was streaking right up the middle uh, wide open, it would have been a touchdown. Uh, there's other times where, where he missed a couple guys too. Um, and certainly the Kyron Williams screen we talked about. Rip it loose, be confident, and and trust these receivers, even if the, the trust isn't all the way there yet. Uh, would like to see that. And I think for Notre Dame's offense to really take a step forward, a big part of that's going to be Ian Book and how he handles himself and how much composure he has in the pocket. One week down for Notre Dame, one showdown for us. Let's do it again next week, shall we? Yes, sir. Very excited. We're going to do this every week, kind of our post-game thoughts, a little bit different than last year, and I think it'll be fun. Play that music, out music, Swamp Rock 2. We'll talk to you next week after Notre Dame, South Florida. My name's Tom Noy with Carter Carls of the South Bend Tribune. This has been Pot of Gold, Extra Point.